Hi, welcome to Hemp Foundation Talks, where we listen to the heartbeats of the hemp industry and learn the celebrations, challenges, and discoveries from hemp leaders and advocates from around the world. Hi, I'm Rebecca, International Business Officer with the Hemp Foundation, and I'll be your host. Today's guest is Marty Clemens. Marty Clemens is a social entrepreneur passionate about finding regenerative solutions to systemic issues. She is currently chair of the board of the Southeast Hemp Association. She has been working to build the hemp industry in North Carolina and the Southeast since 2015. Marty is a partner in the Industrial Hemp Summit, a B2B multi-stakeholder collaboration focused on building the US hemp industry. Previously, Marty lived in Chicago, Illinois, where she was a corporate and securities lawyer with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission and Northern Trust, as well as Chief Counsel of ABN AMRO Asset Management USA and General Counsel of Mark Market Liquidity Network. Welcome, Marty. It's glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. So please tell me, like, what got you started in the hemp industry? Yeah, I my introduction to the hemp industry was via medical cannabis. And I was uh, an investor in medical ca cannabis in Illinois in about 2013 is when Illinois started going um, medical. So I was introduced from um, a finder who was looking for investors in different groups and um, got excited about cannabis as a substitute for opiates. I was really excited about it. And um, that's how I uh, eventually, via, via medical cannabis, came to hemp in about 2015 when I moved from Chicago to North Carolina. And I was looking at what was going on with cannabis in North Carolina. And what was going on here was industrial hemp. So mm -hmm. I educated myself about that. And I got 10 times more excited about that, honestly, than I ever was mm -hmm. about medical cannabis. Awesome. So you do have a little bit of a background in, in health mm -hmm. as well? Yeah. Um, well, I owned a yoga studio in Chicago. So I went, I went from being a lawyer to a yoga teacher. <laughs> and uh, when I had my kids and I wanted to um, do something where, you know, I could be with them and they could come with me. So I opened a yoga studio in Chicago and um, really got into the whole health and wellness world mm -hmm. yoga. So cannabis is kind of like a natural um, thing as far as, you know, looking at it from a health perspective. And is that, did that play a part in, in why you, you know, got on board with it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, via yoga, got into a lot of alternative healing and, um, you know, was really excited about cannabis and, and uh, plant-based medicine and, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So amazing. Yeah. So tell me more about now your interest in, in hemp in a broader spectrum besides just the, the medicinal uses of it. Um, um, yeah. how did, uh, what is your journey um, from there? Yeah, so when I moved here, I started volunteering with the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Association. Um, I eventually became the president and the chair of the board of that organization. And that organization's mission was to um, you know, in 2015, the 2014 Farm Bill had been passed and, and we could have research and pilot programs. So I was very involved in the lobbying uh, effort for North Carolina to get a law passed here for hemp, for research. 
Um, so we did, we did that in 2015 and then um, lobbying from there to get federal legalization, which we got in 2018. And um, yeah, and really looking at, you know, what took off in the industry everywhere, not just in North Carolina, was cannabinoids and CBD production mm. and um, extraction. And then, um, but looking at what, what the ecosystem is of North Carolina and the ecosystem here is tobacco and textiles. Mm -hmm. So if you lay a map of the textile belts and the tobacco belt, they almost overlap. And um, so the real opportunities here in North Carolina were for growing high value flour for the smokable market. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, many states tried to ban smokable flour. So our organization was successful at fighting the legislature to not ban smokable flour. Awesome. Um, so, and the reason we did that was because there's a lot of people that you know, there's a lot of pain receptors in the lungs and that mm -hmm. think that that's the best uptake method for them. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a lot of tobacco growers here that know how to cure tobacco and know how to grow high value tobacco. So it's kind of a natural fit for them to pivot in that direction. And then um, what we're seeing now really taking off is fiber. And that's because we have a lot of textile infrastructure still here. Mm -hmm. So that's where the, you know, there may be, especially as people bring on different genetics that may be, you know, dual cropping or tri-cropping, some grain production here. Um, but, you know, I see mostly fiber and high value cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. So are you talking to a lot of farmers um, in the area that are excited about going into fiber? Yes, mm -hmm. we are. We are, and we have um, we have an event coming up, our fifth annual Industrial Hemp Summit, which is a multi-stakeholder B2B collaboration. And it's about bringing together the farmers with the corporations, mm -hmm. with the government, with government, with departments of ag. So we take a real multi-stakeholder approach to building the industry because we don't believe that you can build it from just one perspective. Yeah. So that's what we've done with that. And this year, there's a heavy, heavy focus on fiber this year. Awesome. So you know, the last time we talked, we had a very interesting conversation. And I'd like to touch on that. Um, and, and it's the idea of um, globalization versus domestication. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd love for our listeners to hear your thoughts on that topic. Yeah, I, I'm a both and person. So I do believe that we'll always have a global We'll always have a globalized economy. Mm -hmm. um, however, I think we've gone so far in the direction of offshoring and outsourcing everything that we've become vulnerable as a country. And I think that's what we're really starting to see with so the supply chain issues that came out of COVID. Right. So I think, you know, what I would like to see as far as policy is I would like to see, and this is directly goes in immigration. Mm -hmm. I would like to see us investing in countries, especially like um, Mexico, for example, where we have a lot of immigration coming from mm -hmm. and Central America. I would like to see us investing in hemp infrastructure and um, regenerative farming and things that help those countries be able to provide for themselves. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I'm working with, I also have a hemp foods company that I'm just about to launch and I'm working with um, a man who's doing regenerative farming with mesquite in Mexico. And he's regenerating ecosystems. He's studied permaculture um, in San Francisco. He's doing some really cool things. He's employing women and children. Um, and mesquite is just everywhere in Mexico. And he agrees with me that, you know, when we have people leaving their countries and looking for opportunities in other countries, they don't want to leave. You know, they want to stay in their country if there were opportunities there. Right. So I think there's, you know, as opposed to foreign aid or maybe in addition to foreign aid, not as opposed to, um, because foreign aid is needed for different different things, right? But the whole that whole idea of um, teaching a man to to fish rather than just giving him the fish, right? And and creating win win situations. I mean, it's right. a win win that we don't have a massive immigration problem. Mm-hmm. It's a win win that um, we're we're creating economies and and more uh, stronger trading partners mm-hmm. for other all kinds of goods uh, with, at a relatively small cost. So mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, do you know, I, I don't even know how much money we spend in trying to prevent immigration that is not legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if we were just to invest that money in helping those ecosystems develop and be able to provide for themselves, right? right. And, and regenerative agriculture ticks so many boxes yeah. for climate change, for soil regeneration, for um, really just, you know, when we look at what do people really need, mm-hmm. people need food and they need houses, right? And we both know that with hemp, we can provide both of that. Both of yeah, those things. For sure. So what do you, what is your ideal? Like, where do you see yourself in the next, you know, three to five years and, and in the marketplace? Um, yeah, where, you know, I've done a lot leading through trade associations and, you know, trying to do and doing this multi-stakeholder thing, which those are all really useful things that I've been focusing on. But I think where, I'm pivoting to and going to be spending more of my time in the next few years is just in being an entrepreneur and creating the markets and the demand for for hemp. Yeah. Because I think, you know, when I look at this multi-stakeholder collaboration that we put together, there's so many people um, that are important and that are researching the plan and that are doing, you know, regulating the plan. There's not a lot of entrepreneurs. There's just mm-hmm. not a lot of entrepreneurs in hemp. There's mm-hmm. very, very few. You can probably name them on one hand um, or two hands. And that's, you know, why. And I think a lot of it, especially in, if you count all the entrepreneurs that are in the CBD space, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a mm-hmm. lot. But the problem with being an entrepreneur in the cannabinoid CBD space is that you still can't market your products the way any other company can market their products. You're still subject to not being able to advertise and on certain platforms, right. you know, so you're, you're, it's really an uphill battle in a market that is really, really saturated. Mm-hmm. So how do you, you know, there's obviously, 
you know, lots and lots of opportunities in cannabinoids. But right now, until the FDA review, you know, with the, the current policy of the FDA refusing to regulate regulate a supplement route, um, it's going to be really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think too with you know with the industry growth, the more that we can we can have more entrepreneurs out there and increasing the demand, then that will allow the prices to drop at some point as well. And, and it would become like a new normal, you know. Um, I think that would be an awesome thing to, to see um, once we get to that point. Um, so do you have um, any insights as far as getting to that point? What do you think are some of the challenges that we need to overcome? Well, I would say the number one challenge uh, is greed. <laughs> But, you know, that's in every industry. That's not just in our industry. But from what I've seen in cannabinoids is that prices have just, you know, who's the farmers aren't getting a lot of money. Right. <laughs> um, the processors are paying less, but that savings is still and is still not being passed on to the consumer in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. I am starting to see prices come down in CBD. Because if we do want it to be like a supplement that is like a vitamin that people take regularly, yeah. prices have to come down um, for someone to keep taking it consistently, which is one of the biggest challenges in cannabinoids is that it's so expensive. People yeah. try to make a bottle go a long way. And um, so I, I do, th I'm starting to see some like discount brands that are high quality. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's what, if we really want to get this out as medicine to people and it's challenging, I know it's challenging because, um, there was a gold rush mentality when people got into it and the margins were much higher. So to accept lower margins, but you're helping more people, um, you know, that's, that's a, a pivot that has to happen. I still think, you know, we have to have FDA regulation. There has to be regulation because having no regulation you know, there's, there's a balance between over-regulation and having a, enough regulation to keep people safe. Mm -hmm. We don't have regulation to keep people safe in cannabinoids, you know, mm -hmm. if you combine gas stations and there's no telling what's in a lot of stuff that's out there. Right. So what type of um, legislation um, do you think would really um, open the market up and would be beneficial? Well, there's legislation pending to try to force the FDA's hand um, that Congress would say to the FDA, you have to regulate this. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's a slippery slope because mm -hmm. regulators don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a reason why, you know, we have the three branches of government that is not supposed to be the role of Congress. Congress passes laws and the, the administrative agencies administer them. Mm -hmm. um, but in this situation, it's, it's a very tricky situation because um, the industry doesn't have the kind of resources that big pharmaceutical companies have. Mm -hmm. So the kinds of studies and the kind of data that the FDA wants is not something that the industry is used to or has the resources yeah. to provide. Although it's my understanding that the hemp uh, U.S. Hemp Roundtable has submitted stuff via their members and, you know, that it's been 
very good science and, and rigorous um, clinical trials and that mm-hmm. we have still not enough. So, you know, once you get that kind of adversarial relationship with the regulator, it's really, it's, it's kind of challenging. But yeah. my biggest concern with cannabinoids is that, you know, the, the prices are falling. Uh, the pharmaceutical companies are now buying them and putting them and doing clinical trials and using them for, for drug ingredients. The FDA's p- public position has been that we, we see CBD as a drug mm-hmm. um, and they can't see a supplement route for it. Um, so my concern with cannabinoids and is that it's just going to be eaten up by pharmaceutical companies and they're isn't going to be that the entrepreneurial ecosystem we have now with supplements. So what would you give advice to, you know, the CBD entrepreneur right now, um, you know, as far as um, branching out or navigating the obstacles now and in um, even what you're doing and, and what you said your focus is on is, mm-hmm. you know, entrepreneurship. So maybe yeah. you can give some, you know, some good advice um, to the CBDs um, you know, entrepreneur, um, how can they branch out or, you know, it's challenging because of the limitations they have with respect to advertising and Mm -hmm. given that everything is going direct to consumer, um, it's, that's really challenging. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the CBD food space, which doesn't have, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the uh, hemp food space, not CBD. Uh that doesn't have the same regular, it doesn't have the same problems because the food has grass status. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, some of our members have, you know, used an MLM model um, that has been successful. A lot of it is just gaining the trust of the consumers um, that you have a high quality product. I think one of the biggest challenges is just, it's got to be at a price point that people will buy it, buy it monthly on a subscription kind of basis and keep taking it. Because one of the challenges I think with, with CBD is that if you have symptoms like Parkinson's, or you have something that has outward symptoms and you, or anxiety, and you start taking it and you start noticing a difference, then you're going to keep taking it. right? Right. But for people that don't have those kind of outward expressions of illness Mm -hmm. um it's kind of hard to see what it's doing and you know the anti-inflammatory um neuroprotecting qualities is really good for you but you can't necessarily see what vitamins are doing for you although i can when i get run down i don't take them all the time Mm -hmm. but when i get run down i I notice right away when i start taking them Mm -hmm. so it is that can getting consumers that this is just a part of your daily routine. Right. Um, and, you know, um, building up that loyalty and that trust. And it's, it's challenging when you can't go direct to consumer the way other companies can. But, you know, it's just building a brand. It's no different than building a brand with anything except you're building a brand with your hands tied behind your back because you don't have all the tools available to you. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it, it's also finding your, your niche. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I've been to some, some hemp events where they have athletes have brands and 
they're targeting other athletes. And, you know, right now, the, I just read the NFL is funding a million dollar research study on CBD for pain. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's the kind of money now that that's always been what's needed in, mm -hmm. in the cannabinoid side is because once that science is out there, people, you know, that take it, know it works an anecdotally, but right. the science out there, you're going to, you're going to convince a lot of people who need to see the science to take it. Mm -hmm. um, so that NFL study is out there. And then there was just two studies, one from the University of Chicago and one from Oregon State University about um, CBD's ability to prevent COVID from uh, the University of Chicago study was CBD being able to prevent COVID from causing um, the virus to replicate. Right. It didn't stop it from entering the cell, but it, it, it stopped it from replicating. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple things out there on COVID and, you know, a lot of people who don't really haven't read the research, don't care, just trying to market right. based on that. You know, that, yeah. that's the biggest issues is that you just can't make health claims and of any sort, which is mm. also another problem. Yeah. And, you know, the rules are like, you can't even from a post from a customer. And so, um, I do think, you know, it, it's one of those situations where the industry got way out ahead of regulation. Mm -hmm. And um, now people don't know what they need to do, honestly, because everyone's been doing it for so long, it's become normalized, even though it's, you're really not allowed to do what a lot of people are doing. So it is challenging, but I, I think, you know, looking at uh, those niche markets, like I know people that are going after, I, I saw a woman speak who's going after um, people that have had post um, like reconstructive surgery and hmm. really finding your, your niche. And obviously people are going to be drawn to you if you've had that same kind right. of experience and CBD helped you. Mm -hmm. And as far as like regulations, like in, in the certain things that you can say, I mean, you, you can have more freedom in, in telling your own story, right? Um, as long as it's not on your website, as long as <laughs> it, anything, like I, I highly recommend I follow Asa Weinstein and um, his posts and um, on LinkedIn. And he has a lot of good free content about what you can and can't do. And he does a lot of webinars. Yeah, um, He's, you know, if there's like, they're looking at old blog posts. It's the latest thing that he was talking about. I think I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So it's, you know, it's, it's like at the point where I don't know what you could say, honestly. And yeah. that's, what you can say is limited and how you can reach customers is limited. So, you know, that direct consumer, that's why I think a lot of the, you know, the retail stores did really well at the beginning is because they were largely just educating people would come in curious and educate customers. Mm -hmm. But with COVID and, you know, the general trend away from retail, most people are buying online. So you know, it, it does get really, really tricky. And I think, you know, sponsoring maybe live event, anywhere you can get live in front of people and educate, there's right. so much we don't, there's so much we don't know. So we do the mm -hmm. science. And then there's so many people that still don't know anything about CBD or right. 
that there's more than CBD in, in a, a tincture. And, you know, it's that whole thing of, you know, the industry kind of jumped on to the consumer started knowing what CBD was. Right. And so they just started marketing CBD. And even when they had full spectrum oil and there's lots of other benefits in it besides CBD. And that's also confused the FDA mm-hmm. because the FDA um, epidiolex is a drug that is an isolated form of CBD and it's gone through clinical trials. So mm-hmm. when you talk about regulating a supplement and then it's a full spectrum, you know, oil, the, the FDA doesn't get it because they're, they're, how they regulate drugs is via molecules. Mm-hmm. So they regulate one molecule at a time. They don't understand this concept of a whole spectrum and right. um, cannabinoids are in a plant. I think you made a, a very good point. I think, um, you know, the education, I think is so important. And so for that, from what I was hearing you say, you know, for the, the CBD entrepreneur, you know, get out there and start educating people, um, even about the different varieties and, you know, um, all those things I think will go a long way um, as well as we wait for other things to catch up and more research, right? Yeah. That's kind of what I'm hearing. Yep. And that if you're, you know, you've got savings coming at you via your supply, supply chain, you know, it's <laughs> like if, look, everyone has to benefit in your supply system if you're going to have a, a viable business. Right. And the only ones that are getting squeezed are farmers. And the farmers are always the ones that get squeezed. Yeah. And, you know, you're getting cheap biomass and you're, you're not passing that savings on to the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's going to, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Awesome. So any other last words, last words of advice? Um, any, anything um, hopeful? <laughs> I, you know, I've always seen the, the, the industry just got sidetracked with cannabinoids and it was, you know, the, the latest, hottest thing, but we have to really take a holistic perspective right. of looking at this industry. And the, and we can't do the same thing with fiber and food. We have to look at, this is a, a new crop that has only been legal since 2018 and we're trying to build an industry mm-hmm. and it's only a few years old and some people are already giving up and throwing in the towel yeah. and if you have a long-term vision of this plant and this industry um, you need to find other people that share your vision and collaborate and you know it's time for consolidation on all levels yeah trade association level at the um, you know people need to work together um, to survive. And it's always, I think, better to work together anyway, because it's more fun. Yes. <laughs> but if you don't think it's fun, and you want to be around. <laughs> yeah. And I think we, we should have more of a collaborative mindset than a um, competitive mindset, because yeah. it'll go much further. And I think the, there's no reason to be that competitive right now, because there's um, so much opportunity. And, and if we can look at the opportunities more and, and even like what you're talking about, like the niche, you know, finding those niches and finding your own communities. Yeah. Um, um, there, there's an abundance, when we have that abundance mindset and help each other and share information, I think the industry will really grow much further from there. I know, I agree. Yeah. Thank you so much, Marty. 
I really appreciate um, your time and sharing your expertise. Um, maybe you can also share about your event. Is it still open yeah. for others to register? Yep. Um, it's the Industrial Hem uh, industrialhempsummit.net is our website. And okay. um, it'll be held at the North Carolina Biotech Center this year, as opposed to we've held the first four in Virginia. Um, this year, we're moving across the line to North Carolina. <laughs> and um, yeah, we have Huber is one of our sponsors, uh, Westtown Bank and Trust, which has been a really great bank that banks the industry. And um, this year, VF Corporation, which owns 10 brands, including the North Face and Vans. Um, so, you know, really looking at, um, it's the first time a big apparel company has sponsored any kind of hemp event. And it's because I believe that we hold space for all the parts of this, of the multi-stakeholder approach, because there are people in the industry that don't like government. And there are people in the industry that don't like corporations. And there are people that don't like this and they don't like other people in there, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just ego. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, time to get over it and really look at the big picture. And the big picture is, is that we need government we need corporations, we need all the set, we need universities, we need researchers. Yeah. And we discount any one part as saying, no, we don't need that. Um, and we just focus on, you know, my own little world. Yeah. Uh, that's just, that's not what this, this plan is not about narcissism. It's not about being egocentric. It's yeah. Just, um, for the full potential of it. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> you. Thank you for spending time with us today at Hemp Foundation Talks, and it's been a pleasure. And we look forward to staying in touch and for your continued success and, and really the continued success um, as a whole um, for the industry. Thank you. I really mm -hmm. appreciate you holding these conversations. They're much needed. And um, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you, Marty. You too. Thank you for listening to Hemp Foundation Talks. Hemp Foundation is a nonprofit social enterprise on a mission to provide solutions for our current ecological crisis. Hemp Foundation and their brand, Uki, has created a value chain from village farms to the marketplace. Utilizing the many benefits of hemp to overcome deforestation, fight plastic pollution, and support regenerative practices to heal our earth. The foundation supports over 250 small village farmers in the Indian Himalayan region. In addition, they employ widows and women in the production of over 500 hemp products for the marketplace. From clothing, to food, to hemp bags, a large range of textiles, embroidered fabrics, home goods, and even hemp bioplastic. To learn more, visit hempfoundation.net.